Moral Revolution community, welcome back to our podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. We're gonna dive into all things God's design for healthy sexuality. Let's talk about it. Hey, let's talk about it, fam. Good to see you if you're on YouTube or for you to hear us if you're just listening on our podcast. Do you know podcast. we have coffee mugs? We do have coffee. Let's talk about we it, coffee mugs. We should sell those. Who would want those? We should sell those. They're Why so don't we cool. sell them? Take them to work. Let's we talk about it. And they're like, talk about what? Let's talk about sex. sex okay. <laughs> That's like from the 90s. <laughs> it's okay. The 90s are cool again. Okay. That's Cole true. And Kate here. We're pumped about the topic we are talking about today. And it is? The Bible and sexuality, trying to really unpack what does God actually say? There's so much confusion around that right now. And we really, our, our goal and our hope right now is that we will assess the source of our belief system. What is the actual source? Not, not, the, not the conscious source, but the subconscious source of what's informing what you believe, how you believe it about sex, and why you believe that. Yes, and if you can see us, you can see we have both our Bibles open. So we're mm. digging in. Here we go. Let's make this the source again, huh? Yes. Let's go 2021. Let's do it. Let me pray first. Yeah. So, Father, I just pray for um, open hearts. Father, I, I pray mm. for open heart. That during this time, Father, over this session and the next session, these two sessions, that there would be a powerful awareness of your presence that highlights lies that have been believed, that affirms truths of what is really true about what you say and how you designed us and how you created humanity and how you have decided you want us to live and to operate with each other. So, Father, I pray that there would you would just rest a spirit of truth on every person that's listening and that as we speak, as, as you, your word is, is read, as, as truth is being spoken, there would be something in their hearts that would draw to the truth, Father, and that you would confirm what you've spoken into existence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, we want to jump in and, and just, you know, I, I want to tackle sexuality through a biblical perspective, but also really want to help us question, why do we believe what we currently believe right now? And actually identify what is it that we believe? I think that is something, you know, belief is interesting because it's very rare that we're conscious about what we believe or even how we got there. Yeah. A lot of times belief is like the frog that's in lukewarm water that stays in it till it boils. Yeah. Belief is built over a period of time with small experiences, statements, little things that just kind of build up. And before we know it, we've got this mountain of this belief system around something based on our experiences. Yeah. Right now, if, if we were all perfect, um, like if you were all perfect like Caitlin and I are, <laughs> then what you would do is you would read the Bible. That one moment would define all of your beliefs. Um, <laughs> I joke because obviously none of us are at that spot, you know. And, and as much as we'd like to be, I'd like to be able to read a verse and have that be so powerful that it gets into the core of who I am and I never have to question God again, right? But we're humans. Yeah. And so there's this ebb and flow of, man, I lived for God during this season of my life really well. It felt easy. Everything. I, I just wanted to spend time with him. I wanted to be with him. And then all of a sudden, this other season, it became really hard. And the Bible didn't stick out like it used to. The presence wasn't, it, it wasn't as strong as it used to be. And so yeah. now all of a sudden, before I've, re without realizing it, I've slowly drifted to this place where, well, my belief system and how I live and how I operate and what I'm questioning is very different than that season where I was in the Word. Yeah. And 
the thing that I'm concerned about in our, this generation and in Christianity in general right now is I feel like it's become a mix of Christianity and, and humanism. So I, I want to read this definition of humanism because I want to speak to this. We're going to speak to this right now as we unpack this topic of sexuality. This is what humanism says. It's built on the beliefs that hum, humanists believe that the human experience and rational thinking provide the only source of both knowledge and moral code to live by. Hmm. Now, I think consciously yeah. Christians would say, well, that's not true, right? Like we build our belief on God. But if we really started to evaluate the progression of our belief systems, I think a lot of people right now in this generation would be able to point out and say, actually, I'm, I am kind of living life in this hybrid of Christianity and humanism. And, and, and here, I want to ex ex explain it and expose it here for a second. Ultimately, humanism prioritizes the human. Whereas Christianity prioritizes the Lord, Jesus, Holy Spirit, prioritizes the opportunity to be in the presence of God. A humanistic belief system is that everything is for us and from us. And so you see this mixture going on right now where Christians have begun to believe that God is there to serve us. A good God surely wouldn't send people to hell. That's a mixture of Christian and humanism. That, that's a, a, a Christian belief built on we are the top prize. God wouldn't send us to hell because we're so good and great. Now, we know God doesn't send anybody to hell. If you understand scripture, God does that allow us to make choices that fall away from him. But we've kind of adopted this idea that God just... He really wants to be more of a friend and a buddy than he does a father. And because he wants to be our friend, he lets everything go. Why? Because we want everything to go. <laughs> I remember this time when we were sitting, we were eating dinner. You'll remember this with Connor. And um, I can't remember. Somebody said, you're the best dad. I think maybe Chloe oh, yeah. goes, you're the best dad ever. And Connor goes, no, you're not. <laughs> and he's my second son. He's the most honest child we have. Yeah, he's probably like eight years old. Yeah. And I go, what? I just, I laughed. I'm like, what do you mean, buddy? He goes, well, you're not the best dad. Like, how could we know that? There's so many dads in the world. I, I mean, you're a good dad. You're not the worst dad, but you're not the best dad. Like, there's no way to know if you're the best dad. And I go, well, what would it mean? How would I become the best dad? He goes, well, you just give us whatever we want. <laughs> and an eight-year-old, that's, in his mind, I want cookies when I want cookies. I want ice cream when I want ice cream. I want to go outside when I want to go outside. Stay I want to stay up, right? Yeah. <laughs> but... If we're really honest, that mindset isn't so different from culture right mm. now. We want whatever we want, and we want God to accept that. And we want it now. And we want it now. That's a mixture of humanism and Christian belief. Yeah. This idea that God is here to serve our purposes, our desires, and ultimately here to not offend us. Like God doesn't want to offend us because he just wants us to like him. Let me just say this. God doesn't want you to like him. He doesn't need you to like him. He wants you to love him. A part of love is like, mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it. But his ultimate goal is not to win a popularity contest because if that were the case, he would constantly have to change to meet the wants and the desires of everybody. Yeah. And I mean, we all went to high school. We all remember what it took to be popular. You had to compromise who you were every single day to get everybody to like you. That's the reality of what popularity is. And God isn't interested in compromising who he is to get us to like him. He wants us to get to know him so we'll fall in love with him mm -hmm. and then remember who he is. Yeah. It's mixed in with the, it's what the culture is saying. It's like your truth, my truth, everybody speak your truth. And it's like the whole idea 
is that truth is relative. And hey, you know what? It's your experience. It's your rational thinking that created your moral code to live by. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh no, there's one truth, and his name is Jesus, and his instructions, and his word, and his, I mean, his love is here, but also yeah. his guidelines that make a good father, that make it be like, oh no, this is what's good for you. This is what you right. should avoid because it's not going to be good for you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and, and we see it, and hopefully you've seen it in your own relationship with your parents. Like I know I did. My, when I was in high school and my college age, my dad was very hard on me, hmm. like very challenging. You remember those times where I felt like I couldn't get a break with him. He was always wanting to teach a lesson, and I was so sick of his lessons that he was wanting to teach. And I got kicked out of Bible college, and he said, you can't move home. you gotta, you got to figure it out on your own. And, man, I remember being so angry at that time. But then as I got into real life, yeah. and I got married, and we bought our first house at 24 years old, making, I think at the time we lived in Sacramento, I made $36,000 a year or something like that. Together we were in the 40s and we bought a brand new house. And I realized the reason I knew what to do and how to do it was because my dad created boundaries for me when I was irresponsible. I didn't like my dad when I was younger. (laughs) I loved him even more when I was able to do things other people my age and my salary weren't able to do because I was able to immediately see the correlation. I have the ability to do this because my father taught me a lesson that I didn't want to learn. I didn't see the value of, when he was teaching it to me, I didn't see the value of it. I didn't want to learn it and I was actually angry with him. He was the least popular person in my life. And now I think, man, I am so thankful that he created healthy boundaries for me and provided extremely tough love Mm -hmm. so that I would learn the things I need to learn to experience a much better life later on. Yeah, it reminds me of Hebrews, like the Lord disciplines those he loves. Like when you're in that mode, it's because it's out of Mm -hmm. love. It's all motivated by love. Yeah. So here's what I want to do. I want want to read this in scripture and I want you, as as we're listening, I actually want to encourage you to close your eyes and process these words. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 for a moment. Because I really would like us to assess. Here's the big question that that I want you to ask yourself today. Where do my beliefs about sexuality come from? Because there has been a massive move in even the last 18 months in culture where the beliefs of what healthy sexuality look like has drifted further and further and further and further away from Scripture. And so I think it's critical for all of us on a regular basis to, to assess the source, yeah. right? Like actually do a deep dive and start asking ourselves some what questions and some why questions and some where questions. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? And where did I get that from? Right. And actually unpackage, get into our subconscious and do some subconscious work to figure out, mm-hmm. wait a sec, I've developed a belief on this, or maybe it's not even a belief, but I don't strongly believe this anymore. How have I drifted? Is the drifting a good thing? Is God led me here? Or is the drifting a bad thing? And where does that come from, especially in the area of sexuality? Yeah. So here's what it says in 2 Timothy. This is chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Timothy, in the presence of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is destined to judge both the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom, I solemnly instruct you to proclaim the word of God and stand upon it no matter what. Rise to the occasion and preach when it is convenient and when it is not. Preach in the full expression of the Holy Spirit with wisdom and patience as you instruct and teach people. For the time will come 
when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they want to hear. They will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. So be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planner and evangelist and fulfill your ministry calling. I'm not sure that I can think of a more prophetic verse for our current culture right now. And I think it was an accidental slide. I don't think that people meant to, and because and, and, the belief systems right now that, that are really at play and that I think we're waging against is how many genders are there? Is what type of sexuality is God's design? Were we born with certain sexual orientation? Is it really matter if we wait till we're married to have sex? Is porn really that bad? Does, does it really matter if we get divorced, right? Like these are all of the things that you, you could talk to any church, any Christian circle, and you're going to get different answers, Yeah. right? Totally. Even stuff that's very clear in scripture, we've begun to question and we've begun to wonder if that's true. And we've done it in the sake of, well, I, God is compassionate. Look what he did with the adulterous woman. Look what he did with Zacchaeus. We also have to remember he allowed the rich young ruler to leave, to walk away, right? We also have to remember he allowed Judas to betray him. He does allow us to make decisions contrary to what his ultimate desires would be. Yeah. And that's super important for us to understand. And we have to really un take a second and say, okay, have I truly built my beliefs about sexuality, Bible, or sexuality, relationships, and the way God wants us to operate from Scripture? Or have I found another source? Because what really happens right now, what I've seen happen with a lot of people, is they're developing very big, strong opinions about sexuality, about what's right and wrong. And if you're somebody that you're like, man, you know what, in the last year, two years, three years, maybe five I have. I, I've really began to believe something different. And what, we, what do we do? We label it, well, I'm not with my Christian parents anymore, or I've begun to think for myself, or I've begun to, to see things. I would question where the actual source is. And here's what I would say. What we need to do is we need to evaluate on a daily basis in a 24-hour period, am I spending more time on social media, reading the news, watching shows, listening to music than I am reading the Bible and trying to understand what the Lord has spoken here. Yeah. There is no possible way we could have a belief system lined up with biblical truth if the majority of our time is not spent in scripture defining our belief systems. And whether we realize it or not, it's impossible to, be, to spend most of our time being entertained because that's what social media does. Yeah. That's what, right? We can't spend our time being entertained and not think it doesn't have weight into what our belief system really truly is about sexuality. Yeah, it's often extremely subconscious and we don't realize it, but we truly are being trained by what we're entertained by. We wouldn't say that. Like none of us would even probably want to admit it, but it's like a, it's the fro the frog example is perfect because it's a slow boil. Mm -hmm. It's slowly like I remember the first time um, ever in my life seeing homosexuality portrayed on TV and being like, "Oh my gosh, like what?" And now it's like, it's every commercial, it's every show, and you just like, it's like this slow boil of like, oh, like you just, 
you get desensitized to some things. Mm -hmm. And so when we see it like that, and I mean, homosexuality is just one example. You know, it's the gender stuff, it's sex before marriage, like it's all of it. And you're like, wow, I've slowly drifted or I've slowly just even started to question myself. Like, is that what the Bible says? Like, is that just what the church taught me? Is that just what mm -hmm. my parents said? Does the Bible really say that? And it, we have to be so intentional to actually know what the Bible says. Yep. And that's what we're not good at. Because like you it's, said, it's true. we're just like our It's not nearly as easy. This, sitting down and spending time to not just read this, but to study it, understand it, and allow the Lord to give us revelation is so much harder than, oh, I can just flip up and open Instagram. Right, like just the just the ease. Yeah, or late nights when you're like, I just want to Netflix and chill. I don't want to open up my Bible and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it's that same concept of our eight-year-old son of saying like, I want what I want and I want it now. And, and a good dad would give me that. Yes, and so then we slowly but surely become so familiar with so many lies that we're not even sure what truth is anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's like the truth, this, becomes so foreign because the lies are so familiar that we're bombarded with every day. So we have to be intentional to turn up the truth. I remember being a new believer. For me, it was so drastic. It was a drastic difference of like, wow, I know that the only thing I've been trained by is what I've been entertained by. Like the only beliefs I have about sexuality mm -hmm. are what my peers have told me, what TV has told me, what the lyrics I'm singing have told me. Like that's my only paradigm of sexuality. And so me being a new believer, like hating reading with everything I have, knew I have to read. And as a new believer, I was like, where do I even turn in the Bible to figure this out? So I found every like biblical-based yeah. book on sexuality that I could. And I think I read like five books like real fast. And actually one of them I literally have here because I found it on the shelf before we started. This was one of the first. I know it looks cheesy. But it's, I mean, this was nine, or what year was this? Oh, Two, I'm trying, look. No, what year was I saved? 2001. So this is from 2001, 19 years ago. Uh, but it's called And the Bride Wore White. And it's this book that like unpacks seven steps to, or seven secrets <laughs> This to design is purity. from 1996. <laughs> so this is cool again. Oh yeah, it's back in. <laughs> just add a choker to the girl and you're in. <laughs> no, but really like I like just ate. I ate, like I fed myself with truth because I was like, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. I need a new perspective and a new paradigm. But it took being so intentional. And then once you are, you realize with the things you're watching and the things you're listening to, like, oh, that's not right. That's not right. But it took, it takes being familiar with the truth to be able to call out a lie. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, that's based so on good, whether babe. it's your family of origin, you might have been like raised in that lie. Like that might be so deeply embedded in you that it would take a lot of work for even the Bible to be able to call it out as a lie. Because you're like, no, this is what I've always been told or this is what I've always experienced. This is what I've always encountered. And so it takes so much undoing and unlearning to be able to know and recognize the truth for what it is. And so I pulled that one up because it was the first two. But honestly, like we're going to dig more into the Bible and talk through this. But these are the books I would now be reaching for if I if it wasn't 2001. And well, I mean, it's still good. Oh, yeah, that's still good. I'm sure. I'm sure it's still good. You might have to just get over some of the cheesy things. This book actually was the one where you literally, it had you draw a line where you were like, how far is too far? And you make your decision and you pray these prayers. Like, it And we're so scared of some of that me. stuff because we, we hate legalism so much, but we've also let go of obedience because of our hatred yeah. for legalism. We can't kill legalism and also sacrifice obedience in the process. We yeah. have to be able to find the healthy balance of I'm going to live in obedience to God. I'm just not going to do it in a religious way. Yeah. And we haven't even said this for those who aren't familiar, but Moral Revolution, this is the original book where it all started. And then this is one written by our friend Havla, and it literally breaks down everything. Like 
God and covenant, God and restoration. You're like, oh, can I be restored from the past in my past experiences? Um, God, like sex in the body, like how does this actually work? What's been awakened, the science behind it. And I'm like, this is where you turn up the truth because you're not going to see it on Netflix. You're not going to sing it in your song lyrics. Your friends probably won't be mm-hmm. talking about it, but this is the stuff that we have to turn up. And it'll show you where in the Bible to turn to, to be like, this is the yeah. foundation for what I believe. I mean, this is critical. I think, man, what you said, babe, is good. I think this is a great question that comes from that that we need to ask ourselves. How familiar with truth am I? Like, real truth. And that's a really big question because what's going on is non-Christians are actually defining Christianity for a lot of people right Mm -hmm. now, right? You have non-Christians saying this about about whatever sexual belief system it is, this about Christians, this about that. And, oh, yeah, that, that, that is true. Yeah, God would do this. God wouldn't be that. Christians should be this. And the people that are telling us all those things, they're not even Christians. They're not even, they, they probably never even read the Bible. The people that we're listening to on social media or on the news or wherever it is. Yeah. And so we're actually allowing Christianity to be defined by somebody other than the creator of humanity. And it, it, it's mind boggling. So <laughs> what I want to do is I want to jump in and say, okay, so what is the truth? about sexuality. And rather than talk about the do's and the don'ts, we're not gonna do that right now. What we wanna do is we wanna unpack, let's bring clarity to what God's ultimate design was for relationships and for sexuality. What was he trying to accomplish with sex? Because we know God designed sex. Yeah. Uh, we know God designed humans. He designed, he made Adam, he made Eve. What was his ultimate goal? Because that actually answers a lot of questions, right? Like once yeah. we know why we were created or what, why that part of our life was created, then all of a sudden things start to click into place. Oh yeah, that's, this part, this doesn't seem to fit in that original design. Hey guys, one of the most common questions that we get at More Evolution is which book do I start with? We have quite a few to choose from, but one of our staff favorites is The Naked Truth About Sexuality by Havila Cunnington. It is gold when it comes to learning about how sex affects your spirit, your soul, and your body, and you guys got to check this out. Check it out on our website. So we're gonna start with Genesis. this is Genesis 2. We're gonna, I'm actually going to read a good chunk here about the creation of Adam and Eve because this is really, really critical in understanding who we are and why. So this is verse 4 of chapter 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared and no plant had yet sprung up and the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. I'm going to skip some of this. I'm going to go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man It continues to to say man, which is a statement of gender. 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he called them, that was their name. So the man gave them all names. Down to verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now what's so powerful is once God creates them, he doesn't just say, I made the man in my image. He actually says, and God made them in his image. He made them male. He made them female in the image of God. Now I've wanted to be a pastor since I was four years old. Never, I used to practice preaching to my teddy bears when I was like six. I'd line them up and I'd, pr- I'd preach a sermon to them. Never when I was practicing or imagining being a pastor did I ever think I would have to clarify in a message that God created two genders. And there's two genders that are part of God's design, male and female. But the enemy has worked very hard at skewing how we view ourselves. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. And that is a, that is a massive threat to the enemy because yeah. if, you go, if you go all the way back and, and understand even before humanity was created or the earth was created, what happened? The devil was kicked out of heaven because he wanted the worship that was rightfully God's. He wanted to be like God. Yeah. And then God removes him from heaven for the pride and then what does God do? He makes Adam and Eve in his own image. So the enemy thought, well, I'm going to get back at God. I'm going to cause humans to not see who they are, to not know what image they're created. And I'm going to cause them to question everything about who they are. Because if they don't know who they are, then they won't know who God is. And they'll begin to question who he is, what he created them for, why he created them. And they'll begin to question everything if I can just get them to question their identity. And so he's been working overtime to cause us. I, I never thought we'd get to the point where we were questioning our genders, but we're there. And it's, it's so important for us to understand, does God ever address transgender or, you know, gender being binary or not being binary? Not necessarily directly, but he was very clear. I made them male and female. I made them one, man and woman, and I made them in my image, and I determined that it was good. Mm-hmm. This is God's original, original design. And then he says, and it's, I actually want to go back here and read this last part. And then he says, in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Some versions say that's why a man leaves his father and mother and they cleave together. They, the two become one. And what in Matthew it says, and what God brings together, let no one separate. So this is the ultimate design for human sexuality. That there would be a male and there would be a female and God would bring them together. And what God brings together, nothing would be able to, to rip asunder. Nothing would be able to pull them apart because God determined that they're together. And so then what did he do? He built into our biology this unbelievably powerful scientific bond that sex creates. 
as long as sex hasn't been used and misused in a number of other ways, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so now we begin to question, well, is it even possible to be married? A lot of this generation isn't even getting married because they don't think, well, I, I may be with this person for 10 or 15 years and then be with somebody else. It's not worth the hassle of being married. This question more than any, this generation more than any other generation is questioning marriage. We think, I've actually heard people say it's not even possible to stay married. It's not possible to be with one person sexually for the rest of your life and to be exclusive forever. Like it's not even, it's, that's not even realistic. That's an unhealthy, unrealistic expectation to put on people. And I just don't want to put that, that weight on me. And, and, and getting married will ruin that. We, we, you saw that in the breakup. The breakups are a really good example of that. It's an old movie with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. But there's this scene where they get done with this dance class. And they're like, oh, the, the other people in the dance class are when are you getting married. And they're like, oh, no, we don't want to ruin our relationship with marriage. It's from Four Christmases, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Oh, it was Four Christmases. I'm getting Vince Vaughn's movies mixed up. But he goes, hey, I... I we, they're all botched relationships. Right, yeah, that's true. They, they, it's constantly depicting botched relationships. And they're trying to... What, what you see Hollywood doing is trying to normalize botched relationships. It's very rare, and you do see it sometimes, but it's very rare that you see a relationship in Hollywood glorified or praised that lines up with biblical truth. Oh, yeah. It happens. But it's not often. Can't think of one, but you're probably right. Right? Well, I mean, everybody loves Raymond. They got a pretty good marriage. No, <laughs> Again, they make 90s. Him look like a doofus. Yeah, he he looks funny to me, not like a doofus. Oh but, and, and so that's what we've got to really begin to to, to understand and say, man. And if, if what I'm saying right now and what I'm reading, you're doubting and you're getting angry because of what I'm speaking, <laughs> I would encourage you to then assess: Have I spent as much time in the Word of God? as I have spent allowing my beliefs to be impacted by what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, what I'm experiencing, and the conversations I'm having with people who don't believe biblical truth. Yeah. Don't answer the question to me, answer the question to yourself. Because then you may have to say, well, actually, then I don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible is really clear on these things. Yeah. And it says that marriage actually is strong enough to give us the strength to, to remain married and be committed to each other. Yeah, so if we turn to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and 7, I'm reading from the message paraphrase. It talks about all of this. I w if you t take time to dig in, I recommend reading 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, all three of those chapters together. But we're just going to take a little snippet here for the sake of time. It says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as it is a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. And so since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, hmm. which obviously that is depicting the kind of sex the world is selling, right? Avoiding commitment, avoiding no strings intimacy, attached. friends with benefits, you know. Don't be emotionally connected. Don't be know. so weak. Yeah. yeah. But he says that is the kind of sex that can never become one. Then people wonder why, you know, it's because they're bonding and breaking. So then the Bible says there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all the others because in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God given and God modeled love for becoming one with another. And that's the beauty. Like this is talking about 
this the sin there, which I think is huge, because I remember, again, going back to being a new believer and hearing, like, all sin is the same, but then wondering why it was taking me so hard, to, so long, working so hard to overcome these different sexual sins, but it's because it was, it was against and inside of my own body. Mm-hmm. But then knowing that the other side of that is the beauty of why it was given to become one with another. Like, these types of sex with no commitment, no intimacy, the sin... Well, not even just commitment. I think it's important to understand the difference between covenant. And commitment, We're yeah. talking like covenant is a deeper level of commitment and, and a covenant where I know that I'm with her no matter what, and she knows she's with me no matter what. It yeah. creates a really, really safe place to be vulnerable. Totally. It provides a really, really safe place to be fully exposed before each other. For people that are living, a that are cohabitating, living together, not moving into a covenant relationship, not really knowing, if I didn't know where I stood with you every single day and I was constantly living in a relationship where I was scared that you're going to leave, that would mark everything we do in a very significant way. There's no safety in that relationship. Yeah. If, if my relationship with you and with Caitlin is supposed to represent God's relationship mm-hmm. with us, it's supposed to be safe. It's supposed, we're supposed to be in covenant to know no matter what we're together. Yeah. So that means I can work through anything with you. Yeah. That means hell or high water, let's do this. You're my ride or die. Problem when that's not there and there's not covenant there, what actually takes place is relationships don't even see all of the negative impacts of that uncertainty that's lying below the surface in a relationship. And therefore, health is never able to really be found. Yeah. <clears throat> and then there's the first Q&A about sex in the Bible. It says, uh, this is Paul addressing the church in Corinth, and it says, now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, the first one, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? I'm like, everybody wants to know that answer, right? In the world, we'd be like, here, here's the answer. Paul says, certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Again, another part of scripture that you probably never imagined you'd stop at because it seemed very simple, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But that's a great point right there. Good for a man to have a wife and a woman to have a husband. When it says sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And I think, you know, even as you're reading it, I can't help but wonder or, or think of the phrase that people say is, oh, the Bible's outdated. It's got archaic, it, it needs updated. I've heard, I can't believe I've actually heard that phrase. I never imagined I'd, I'd hear that. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just, it's got archaic beliefs. It's, it needs updated. It needs retranslated. It, mm. No, he's saying, look, I've given you the original design for a man to be with a woman, and I've actually given you the strength to, to live that out. Yeah. So here's how we want to close, and this is what I would encourage and even challenge you to do in your own life, is go on a journey right now. We're not going to answer your questions for you. I actually have no desire to do that in this 30 or 45 minute video to give you all of the answers to sexuality, biblical sexuality and human sexuality. Because the reality of it is you're gonna forget the content of this message within the next week because you'll have watched so many other videos between (laughs) now and when your belief systems are actually formed. What I wanna encourage you and challenge you to do is to go on a journey to challenge and question the source of your beliefs about sexuality. Yeah. Spend more to make a commitment. 
I'm going to spend more time in my day reading biblical truth, reading books that are supporting biblical truth than I am going to watching things, watching videos, watching TikTok, being on Instagram, filling my mind with all of those things. Counteract every minute on your phone with a minute in the Word of God. And then figure out where your beliefs lie a month from now, two months from now, six months from now. This coming to a, watching a conference like this is a good start, but it's a horrible finish. Because if you only, if you start and finish right here, you'll never be able to rebuild your belief systems or address the, the lies that you've believed that you don't realize you've believed. Just like these beliefs were built over time, the reconstruction of truth is going to be over time. So all I can hope for today is that there's an inspiration to be in the word. Maybe it's not an inspiration. Maybe I've angered you. Maybe we've angered you with our archaic belief systems that are rooted in past writing. Well, then for those of you that are in that boat, what I would do is I would challenge you to say, well, fine, if you truly want to know the truth, though, at least be open enough to spend time reading the Bible and then make the determination on your own. Hoping and believing and praying that, all right, Lord, I pray for a revelation of truth as I read the scripture. At least challenge the belief systems that you've adopted and have an open heart and open mind that perhaps the way humans are experiencing sexuality is not the way that God originally designed. Now, thankfully, we have a very gracious God. Like for those that haven't heard our story, I encourage you to go to our podcast at Moral Revolution and hear our story. Like our story is littered with grace, redemption, God making up for what was lost, God healing what was hurt. Like this isn't a, hey, if you're here and you haven't been perfect, then it's a lost cause. Absolutely not. There's always, always, always a redemptive path for everybody. Yeah. So you just have to be intentional. Turn up the truth. Yeah. So let me just pray this blessing over you. Father, I ask for open hearts to your voice, open hearts to your truth. I pray for a a supernaturally created and planted desire to know what you have to say, to know why we, we were created, how we were created, and what your desire is for our human sexuality, Father. I come against and I bind the lies that have been sown by the enemy, by other belief systems, by people, simply by being careless with our time. I pray that you would expose lies, restore truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to learn more and check out all of our awesome content, be sure to head to our website at moralrevolution.com and our socials, Instagram, Facebook, all of them. But before you leave, don't forget to like, review, subscribe, all of the things. We want you guys to come back and join us. We enjoyed having you. See you next time.